When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Dr. History, good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? Good. It's a nice sunny day out there. It's warmed right up to 18 degrees. Is that what it is right now? It's 18 degrees, yep. Well, I, I don't know why I wasted time on a flannel shirt. All I needed was a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> That's right. And your sunglasses. Yes. Yeah. What's going on with you? Well, I want to say hi, first of all, to Michael back in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Oh, my goodness sakes. And he uh, wrote to me and he said, we need more time. <laughs> we need more time? Yeah, he thinks we need to uh, have more time to because he enjoys the educational information that comes what's his first name michael michael if you're listening this morning i'm all in favor of it all i need to do is have you fly out here become one of my sales representatives and go sell more time there we go yeah (laughs) here we go so zeb for the next two maybe even three weeks i'm going to talk about the trappers the fur traders they were tough they were tough guys and i'm going to start out with some of the some of the names you're going to know uh they'll be familiar to you yeah but uh you know in uh, August 15, 1806, on their way back to civilization, Lewis and Clark encountered two men, a guy named Dixon and another guy named Hancock, and they were headed up the Missouri River to trap beaver in the Yellowstone country. Now, Dixon and Hancock made a remarkable proposal. They invited John Coulter, one of the expedition members, to go back into the wilderness with them as a like kind of like a technical advisor or guide and Coulter asked the two captains Lewis and Clark if he could accept and they said yes I didn't know that Coulter was with the expedition with right. Lewis and Clark yeah he was uh, I'm going to talk more about him a pretty huh. amazing guy what okay. he did but uh, Coulter now belonged to the only group of white men who had first hand knowledge of the country behind so he would be obviously a good guide So John Coulter turned back into the western wilderness, and he was to remain in this uh, country continuously continuously for the next four years. Hmm. Now, Dixon, Hancock, and Coulter, uh, they were to become beaver trappers. And Dixon and Hancock, they kind of disappear from the historical record. They, They didn't last. Um, John Coulter, he, his, what he did kind of stimulated other men to compete for the fur trade in the west. Now, Coulter himself was a man to match his achievement. He he was a lean, six-foot-tall Virginian. He'd fought Indians west of the Alleghenies before signing on with Lewis and Clark. When he sat out with Dixon and Hancock in 1806, he had already learned how to travel light. Uh, he carried little more than his leggings and loose, quill-fringed buckskin shirt, the buffalo robe he used as a bed, a tiny store of salt, some trinkets for trading with the Indians, and the rifle with which he got his food. That's all he carried. These guys 
Absolutely. I don't think they ever got the appreciation or the respect. They had to be so tough. And they lived off the land. Yeah. How would you like to live in Virginia? Where did you say he was from? Virginia. He was from Virginia. Yeah. Say goodbye to your wife and head to the unknown, and you have no clue when you're coming back, if you're coming back. If you're coming back. Yeah. Now, during his first winter in the wilderness, Coulter set up a base uh, in uh, in the Valley of the Yellowstone, and with his partners, they trapped successfully for one season. The next spring, he started home for a second time. Now, once again, he did not reach St. Louis. Instead, he received an offer to turn back into the wilderness as counselor and guide to another party of fur seekers. So he went to St. Louis as he was headed home, hopefully. Well, the first time with Lewis and Clark, he was headed back. I see. And then he got talked into going back into the wilderness. So he never did get home. No. So now he's headed back again, and once again, he's talked into staying. Wow. Uh, so And no way to correspond with his family. Yeah, and and we don't really know who his family was or if he was married uh, yeah. or whatever. But yeah. anyway, after John Coulter's long winter of hard work, it must have taken a pretty brave man to turn him around once more. Uh, and the leader of this second expedition, a guy by the name of Manuel Lisa. Now, have you heard of him? I have not. Okay. Uh, Not as well known. Okay. But he was an extraordinary leader. And in his own freewheeling entrepreneurial way, he made uh, unique contributions both to the U.S. fur business and to the exploration of the Western Mountains. Now, remember, Zeb, a lot of these guys were the first ones, first white men, to step into a lot of the country oh, in the West. Yeah, a lot of them. absolutely. Now, Lisa is remembered chiefly through memoirs written by his enemies, who apparently included most of his acquaintances. In fact, one of his uh, uh, past employees said to th- this about him, quote, rascality set in every feature of his dark-complexioned Mexican face. You know, their language, the English language, was much more flowery back then. It was. And you can gather that maybe he wasn't well-liked. Oh, (laughs) okay. Okay. (laughs) Now, he was indeed a violent man of rare ruthlessness and few principles other than self-interest. He was a Spaniard. He'd arrived in St. Louis a dozen years before. Uh, he undertook actually to provision Lewis and Clark for their Westwood journey, and by accident or by design, he so fouled up the arrangements to uh, to where Lewis and Clark did not like him. Hmm. In other words, he messed up trying to get their supplies. Why didn't they get rid of him? Well, I think they did. I see. <laughs> I think they did. They found somebody else to take over I that. See. So by 1806, when Lewis and Clark returned to St. Louis, Manuel Lisa had already begun preparation to send a party of fur trappers into the mountains. So that winter, he hired several ex-corpsmen, and early in the spring of 1807, he loaded 60 men into keelboats to start up the Missouri River. And it was on the upper river that Lisa met John Coulter and persuaded him to turn around and head back into the wilderness as his employee. So the guy that nobody liked persuaded Coulter to go back in. Right, as his guide, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, on Coulter's advice, Lisa pushed on to the point at which the Bighorn River flows into the Yellowstone, and there he built a combined trading post and fort. So there was a fort called Manuel Lisa. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, but working out of this post, uh, Coulter, Lisa, and the others had a pretty good trapping season. Uh, but Coulter did more than trap beaver. During the winter of 1807-1808, he made what may be probably the most extraordinary solo exploration of any American 
in the history of the West. Okay, by himself, Coulter's objectives were simply to deal with the Indians of the West, to search for beaver water. Traveling alone, he set off on a mighty trek through land that was not charted or named. He skirted the eastern flank of what would uh, later be called the Absaroka Range, ascended the Wind River Valley, crossed the Continental Divide at Union Pass, descended the Pacific Slope, and crossed and recrossed the Snake River and the Tetons. So he was going through country, which is now Wyoming, Montana, and all uh, and Idaho. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Have you ever sat and wondered when you watch the TV movies or the westerns or whatever, the sense of direction of these people? It's often bothered me. They'll say, well, we're about 100 miles from this town or that town. How did they know which way to go, even though they went in the right direction? Well, I've traveled up through the Island Park area lots and lots of times. And if you get down into those trees, those tall pines, which, you know, how do you know which way to go? Yeah. Uh, it is amazing to me. But uh, now, here's something that's a little controversial. Uh, and I found this in different historical accounts. According to this uh, author, he was the first to come upon the hot springs and the geysers of what is now Yellowstone Park. Yeah. But that's not true. Oh. Okay. And I'm going to talk a little more about that later. All right. Anyway, after traveling by himself through all that country, he returned to Manuel Lisa's fort and settled down to do some more trapping. Well, in the fall of 1808, Coulter was trapping near the Jefferson Fork of the Upper Missouri with a companion named Potts. When the two men were surprised by 500 Blackfeet Indians. 500? 500. I'd say they were outnumbered. Yeah. Well... Potts tried to resist. Uh, he was out in a canoe, and he shot and killed one of the Indians. Not well, good. he was immediately filled with arrows. Yeah. Now, Coulter uh, was captured. He was stripped and kind of tormented, and the Blackfoot discussed different ways to uh, dispatch him, so mm-hmm. to speak. Well, uh, one of the chiefs asked Coulter, he says, uh, how fast can you run? <laughs> and... Uh, Anyway, the Blackfoot uh, Sports told him to run. They says you're going to have to run for your life. We're going to give you about 30 seconds. Not at how they said that in the Blackfoot uh, language, but uh, they gave him about a 30-second head start. So can you imagine all these young Indians and Coulter with no, no clothes on? They no stripped sh- him naked before right. he ran. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. So he sprinted off barefoot through the... Prickly pear thorns, the the thorns, the rocks ah. of the canyon. Oh, and he was heading for the Jefferson Fork, six miles away. After three miles, he'd ha- outrun all of the pursuers except one. One guy was still coming in close. One more. Really, Coulter turned just as he got to him, tripped him, dispatched him with his own lance, then run, ran on until he reached the bank of the Jefferson where did, River. Where did Coulter get a lance? He, from the Indian. Oh, they gave him? No, no. Oh, he took it from the... Oh, right, okay. he took it from the guy that gotcha. he tripped. Yeah. Gotcha. So, anyway, he reached the bank of the river. He leaped into the river and hid under rafts of driftwood. Ooh. That night, Coulter swam downstream five miles or so, uh, hit the beach, and started running again. He stayed in that cold water? Yeah. Seven days and 150 miles later, naked, blistered, and dehydrated from the sun. I mean, starved. His feet were a mess. Uh, 
his body full of thorns, but he arrived at Lisa's Fort on the Bighorn River, and after only a few weeks of rest, he was ready to go again. you got to be kidding no. me. Now, <laughs> Zeb, here again is where history kind of takes a little turn. According to other accounts, it was the Madison River, and it was only five miles, and he hid in a beaver dam. Ah, uh, no, I've heard that. Yeah, now okay. that's the story that I have heard, yeah. and I think is maybe the most accurate. I see. That he hid, got, because uh, according to one story I read, uh, the Indians actually stood on top of this big, huge beaver dam, and he was afraid they were going to start it on fire, uh, thinking that he could be there, but... Obviously, I guess they didn't think about that. Oh, so he my. hid inside. You know, you go into the beaver dam and you come up and you're on dry, uh, dry ground. Wasn't uh, there a movie yes. made about this? It was called Coulter's Run. That's what I thought. Years and years ago. Yeah. Well, by that time, his employer, Manuel Lisa, was getting ready to expand. In the summer of 1808, leaving most of his men behind, Lisa went back to St. Louis with his furs. Now, in the frontier town, he was treated with uh, pretty much good respect, um, better than he had before. Now, he might still be a scoundrel, and on his return, he found himself charged with a murder for having ordered the death of one of his own men. And he somehow wiggled out of the fix by claiming that the man was a deserter and therefore, quote, a rascal who got what he deserved. A rascal. A rascal. But he was now a very rich Rascal. <laughs> Rascal or scoundrel. <laughs> now, here's where uh, William Clark of Lewis and Clark agreed to become president of Lisa's Fur Company and put some of his own money into the business. Now, to his new partners and investors, Lisa outlined a novel and effective system for collecting furs. He was convinced that the old French and British technique of encouraging Indians to bring pelts from their tribal lands would never work in the American West. You know, the Plains and Mountain Indians, they were horsemen. Yeah. You know, uh, they didn't want to be slogging into beaver uh, camps and, and doing that. That's not what they did. Uh, they'd rather be out uh, chasing buffalo, living the Indian life, hunting, things like that. Anyway, so Lisa decided he would hire his own white trappers, paying them to go wherever beaver were found, uh, regardless of tribal or any other boundaries. Now, having made their cacks, the trappers would bring it to a single central point, Lisa's Fort at the mouth of the Bighorn, for shipment to St. Louis. Well, this uh, system not only freed Lisa from dependence on the Indians, uh, always kind of an unstable element in the fur trade. You could never tell if they were actually going to bring furs to him. But it also made it unnecessary to maintain a number of small posts that he had keepers or people staying there that could all, you know, they could double cross him and uh, take the furs and sell them themselves yeah. somehow. So that took that uh, element away. Now, Lisa was deliberately cutting out the Indians from any direct participation in the fur trade. Nevertheless, he had to keep on friendly terms with those tribes whose lands his trappers were traveling and exploiting. And as it turned out, he was very successful at keeping peace in the wilderness. And on his outward journey, he carried all these expensive, inexpensive, kind of gaudy trinkets uh, for the chiefs, you know, just uh, which a lot of the explorers did, even Lewis and Clark, yeah, yeah. you know. But uh, he accepted the Indian lifestyle, including perhaps for much uh, maybe business reasons. Uh, he had at least one Indian wife, which uh, didn't help his reputation back in St. Louis, where he also had a wife. Man's in trouble. <laughs> well, 
I don't know that either one knew about the other one. I see. I don't know They that. didn't call. They didn't call. I they see. didn't text. But the result was temporary, but uh, workable. And then the white, the truce uh, on, on the middle of Missouri. It was a good working relationship. Uh-huh. So, um, now, Lisa did not intend his operation uh, extend it much beyond the eastern Rockies. One reason was that not even he could make permanent arrangements with the Blackfeet, uh, whom Lewis and Clark had uh, had a bad deal with them in 1806. But Lisa and his men, including Coulter, did gather information collected by Lewis and Clark. So the geography, the knowledge, and the practical means of travel uh, and survival, they got part of that from Lewis and Clark. Did they do a lot of it in our area? Uh, well, Coulter did. came down into That's what area. I thought. Right. Yeah, yeah, into the Snake River area, yeah. But by 1812 or a little later, the river routes from St. Louis to the Continental Divide were fairly well known. It was still a long and dangerous trip from the mouth of Missouri to, say, the Wind River, but it was no longer bushwhacking. All the difficulties, risks, and alternatives had been established and could be considered before heading out on the journey. So they had a, they had a knowledge of where they were heading. Mm-hmm. Now, back to John Coulter. By this time, he'd kind of had his fill of the wilderness. Uh, early in 1810, he managed one more uh, hair-raising escape from the Blackfeet, while five men were shot down around him. For the last time, Coulter made his way back to Lisa's Fort. There, he threw his hat to the ground and solemnly announced to the people there, he said, quote, If God will only forgive me this time and let me off, I will leave the country day after tomorrow and be darned if I ever come into it again. Darned. Darned. I'm yeah, sure, that's yeah. A, that's, that's what, what it said. says right here. Yeah, D-A-R-N-E-D. Whereupon he got in a canoe and in a month paddled 2,000 miles downriver to St. Louis. He paddled 2,000 miles? Yes, yeah, but it was, the river was going that way, you know. Well, so yeah, big deal. <laughs> Anyway, despite the many trails he'd blazed, Coulter received little credit for his discoveries, mainly because he had created no charts, didn't keep a journal. What did he do after that? Um, he went back to St. Louis. <laughs> That's it. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, how old a guy was he? I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how old he was by now. But he had to be getting up there, you know. But again and again, he tried. To, he when he got back to St. Louis, he tried to discover uh, or tell the people about what he'd seen. To yeah. other trappers, and uh, they didn't really believe his tales about geysers and hot springs and mud. Uh, he wouldn't, they wouldn't, they just didn't uh, swallow that. Really? The only willing ear was William Clark. Coulter told Clark about his travels, and from memory, actually helped fill in some of the sections on a private map that Clark maintained and improved. So he actually went back and helped William Clark fill in some of the maps that they'd made on their core uh, of discovery out of so, memory right yeah wow. yeah now this i picked up from another uh, source this is a book called uh, uh, about a guy who was the first one into yellowstone john coulter's biographer burton harris explains that attaching a place called coulter's hell to yellowstone is a modern invention he quotes Father DeSmit, Joe Meek, and other contemporary sources placing Coulter's Hell on the Stinking River. It runs near Cody, Wyoming, and the name was later changed to Shoshone River. Coulter never claimed he saw the thermal activity in Yellowstone. His journeys near the region are controversial and not documented by first or even second-hand source. Wow. Coulter didn't see Yellowstone Lake or all the thermal features. So, 
again, this is a another source that uh, says that. Uh, well, somebody did. Well, th- this guy, this uh, Daniel Potts. I believe that's his name. Yeah. Uh, I've got a book of his, and he was the first man into Yellowstone. Yeah. And that's where I got some of this information. So, you know, with history, you have to wonder how true it well, is. Well, that goes with any story. It, it does, yeah. But, I mean, you're talking about individuals. I don't care if they found the Yellowstone. I don't care what river they were on. These guys, absolutely, without them. I don't think America would have ever been settled. And again, you think of the the you know they helped establish the Oregon Trail. Wow, yeah, you know, and the yeah. other trails, uh, to the California. But their trail. memory. I want to go back to that. You said that he helped make maps later, right? Holy smokes! Can you remember what you had for dinner last <laughs> well, week? Not really. <laughs> I can't either. I mean, yeah, these guys were amazing, but they had landmarks. Like, yeah. you know, the Tetons. Uh, and they didn't write that down. No, he did not. And so he went by memory. Oh, But, you know, he, he crossed the Continental Divide, which where I've crossed it is over uh, on my way from Island Park over to West Yellowstone. Yeah. So I don't know if that's where he crossed, but that would have been the lowest point between, uh, say, West Yellowstone and uh and the Island Park, Henry's Lake area. But I go back to the directions. You know, I was watching a movie the other night, and they said, well, it's west of here. Well, a lot of things are west of <laughs> That's here. True. How far west? Yeah. You know, is it northwest? Is it southwest? There you go. Yeah. And and mileage? Yeah. I mean, you could aim at Castleford and end up way down on the In Nevada. Nevada. Yeah. In Nevada, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, Coulter was an amazing man, and he did contribute a lot to the uh, exploration and settling uh, of the West. Wow. So, but I'm going to continue this, Zeb. I'm gonna, next week, I'm going to talk about Manuel Lisa a little more. And what happened to him? Yeah. You're not going to give it away? No. I, okay. In fact, no. I'm, All right. I'm not going to give you any hints. There you go. <laughs>